If you've got your Bibles, why don't you open them in Genesis chapter 45? Uh, so we're going to be looking at the story of Joseph. A story of Joseph, it's a, a well-known story. There's been films done about it, musicals. Uh, Joseph in his Technicolor Dreamcoat is one of my personal favourites. I love it. Um, but you can read all about the colourful events of Joseph who actually lived out his, the dreams that God gave him. Um, and it, those stories can be read in Genesis 37 through to 50. So I'd encourage you, you know, when you get chance, revisit the story of Joseph. It's so wonderful. We're going to play a little short video clip, if it works, to remind us just quickly of the story. And then I'll read our Bible passage. So let's see if it works, shall we? And then he just takes off. So Jacob goes on from there to have 12 sons, big family. But Jacob loves his 11th son, Joseph, way more than all the others. And so he gives him the special Technicolor dream coat. And his brothers, because of this, come to hate him. So much so that they plan on killing him. But they don't. They instead just sell him as a slave down in Egypt. Now, while in Egypt, through this crazy series of events, Joseph goes from being in a prison cell to becoming the second in command there. And so later on, the, the whole Middle East falls into this food shortage. And Joseph's brothers, they come down to Egypt looking for food. And then when they get there, who should they find as the ruler of the whole land? It's Joseph, <coughs> that guy they sold into slavery. But he actually saves them from starving to death. And so here you have it. These are the great-grandchildren of Abraham who have done this heinous act to their brother. But God has transformed their evil into something good. And that's exactly what Joseph says here in the last paragraph of the entire book. He says, you guys planned all of this for evil, but God planned it for good to save people's lives. Okay, so that was a, a, a very quick recap of the story for us. So let's look at Genesis 45, and I'm going to read verses 1 through to 10. So Joseph uh, could no longer keep his composure in front of all his attendants. So he called out, send everyone away from me. And no one was with him when he revealed his identity to his brothers. But he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard it. And also Pharaoh's household heard it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But they could not answer him because they were terrified in his presence. And when Joseph said to his brothers, please come near me. And they came near. I am Joseph, your brother. And he said, the one that you sold uh, as a slave into Egypt. And now don't be grieved or angry with yourselves for selling me here, because God sent me ahead of you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there will be five more years without plowing or harvesting. God sent me ahead of you to establish you as a remnant within the land and to keep you alive by a great deliverance. Therefore, it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh, Lord of his entire household and ruler over the land of Egypt. 
Return now quickly to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me without delay. You can settle in the land of Goshen and be near me. You, your children, your grandchildren, your flocks, your herds, and all that you have. Shall we pray? I liked what um, Duncan said, make this prayer yours. So don't just leave me up here praying on my own. Why don't you pray as well, this in your heart? We want to hear from God, don't we? We want his word to deposit a truth in us that we take away. So let's ask him to do that, yeah. Heavenly Father, we love you so much. We thank you for your word, the Bible. We thank you that these are your words and this is truth that we can take hold of. And I pray this morning that as we look at the story of Joseph, would you penetrate our hearts with, the, with seeds of truth that will have impact on our lives, not just in the weeks, but the months and the years ahead, Lord. We love you, we love your word, and we pray that it would speak to us this morning and we would go away changed. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Okay, so... Uh, We're not just going to focus on Joseph, we're going to focus on his brothers as well. And we're picking up the story, basically, where Joseph, he's seen his brothers and he can no longer contain his emotions. He can no longer hold them in there. They're bursting out. He wants to tell his brothers, it's me, it's Joseph. And the brothers, they just like, what? No way. They're set, they're, they, they couldn't even answer. They're so shocked. They're, they're terrified to see that Joseph, who they'd sold into slavery 22 years ago, was now governor, second in command to Pharaoh in all of Egypt. So what, Joseph, what our passage is, is really... Joseph bringing a long speech to try and dispel their fears um, and the guilt that they're feeling for what they've done, that they've lived with. Just think about it. They've lived with the guilt of what they've done for 22 years. They've lived with this. Now, so he makes this long speech to dispel their fear. The first thing I just noticed that, that actually it's interesting. He sends everyone out of the room, doesn't he? apart from his brothers and him. Why does he do that? Uh, Perhaps that's a reflection of what true forgiveness is. So when you forgive somebody, you don't want to make a spectacle of what they've done, do you? You want to keep it secret. If you've really forgiven someone, you don't want everyone knowing. You don't go around telling everyone all the time what they did to me. So he keeps it secret. And then as he, as he talks, there are some things that I want us to grasp hold of from this passage and, and, and apply to our lives. So um, what he wants his brothers to know is that they are completely forgiven. No conditions, no buts. It's total, immediate forgiveness. That's what he wants them to know. And my first point that 
I want to bring for us that I, I felt God wants to speak to some of us this morning is that God wants you to fully accept his forgiveness. So Joseph says to his brothers in verse 5, don't be grieved. Don't be grieved. The brothers had done this horrendous thing, selling their brother into slavery. And they felt awful about what they'd done. Now, it reminded me of another New Testament group in, in Acts 2. Uh, we read, that who, uh, read about a group of people who were grieved by what they'd done. So listen to Acts 2. Um, it's in verses 36 to 37. So this is what uh, Peter says to the crowd after Pentecost. He says this, God made Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Saviour. Lord and Messiah. And when they heard this, they were what? They were cut to the heart. They were cut to the heart. And they said, you know, so horrendous of what they felt they had done. They were cut to the heart. And they said, what shall we do? They were grieved like Joseph's brothers. And what does Peter say do? Repent. Repent in verse 38. You see, the Bible tells us that we all need to be in that place of repentance. We're all sinful. We all fall short of God's glorious standards. We all think things, do things, and say things that are wrong. And that's what sin is, essentially. It's rebelling against God. It's turning away and saying, no, I'm going to do it my way. It's turning away from the Lord of life, the giver of life, and saying, no, I'm going to do things my way now. But we, so we all, it's not just, you know, those people in Acts, but we all need to come to this place and come to Jesus in a place of repentance. So repentance is a heartfelt sorrow for our sin. Have you ever heard the phrase, the wetter the better? <laughs> it's right. So I'm not saying it's not right. It's very right to grieve our sin. But it's not right to keep on grieving it. When we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, in what he's done upon the cross, in his death and resurrection, as he died upon the cross, he died for all of our sins, past, present, future. And God offers us forgiveness for every single one of them. Christ paid for our sin. All of it. Even the really bad ones. You know, I've done some really bad stuff, you know, before I knew Jesus. But Jesus doesn't come and say to Steve, man, that one was so bad. You know, that's going to take some time to forgive Steve. We're going to have to do some work on that one. He doesn't say that to us. He knows it already. He knows what you've done. He knows you. And he forgives it all. It is forgiven. And that's what Joseph wants his brothers to fully accept that they are fully forgiven. And God wants you to fully accept his forgiveness. Do anyone of you carry around that sense that of shame and guilt? for the things that you've done. 
A sign that you still grieve your sin and haven't accepted God's forgiveness could be that you keep saying to God every time you come to him, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy of your forgiveness. I'm not worthy of your love. That's so true, you're not. You're not worthy. You're not worthy of his love. But the truth is, it's not about how bad you've been. It's about Jesus and how total and immediate his forgiveness is to you. It's all about him. We don't make it about us and what we've done. It's like I said, he doesn't say, wow, that was a really bad one. No, he doesn't say that at all. Can I graciously say to you, if you are holding on to your sin, you are not holding on to the promise of what Jesus has done upon the cross. Let me read you what Hebrews 1.3 says there. It says, Jesus, after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Purification, your Bible might say purged. That means he's got rid of, removed, never to return again all of the guilt and shame that we carry for our sins. It's gone, gone, it's done, it's dusted, it's dealt with. Stop carrying it around with you. Now, as I was preparing this message, I really felt that God wanted to speak to some particular people this morning who feel that they've done something and they're still carrying the shame and guilt of that thing around with them. It's time to let it go. It no longer, I love that prayer this morning of the captive, no longer holds you captive. You carry it like a heavy backpack on your back. And it's slowing you down and affecting your walk with the Lord. And he says to you, it's done. It's dealt with. You can remove it and leave it with Jesus at the cross. So, God wants you to know and understand fully his forgiveness. And God wants you to forgive yourself. So, Joseph says... The, the, don't be grieved by your sin. Then he goes on to say, or be angry with yourselves for selling me here because God sent me ahead of you to preserve life. I mean, this is Joseph driving his point home that, look, I forgive you. You need to let go of your sin because it wasn't you. It was God. It was God's plan all along. God meant it for good. And they needed to forgive themselves, to fully accept that they were forgiven. So what's the sign of not forgiving yourself? What does that look like? I was trying to think, you know, I think it is that carrying of guilt of past and it affects our walk. There's a remorse, a sense of uh, feeling bad for the consequences of bad decisions. But God places our sins as far as his east is from west. Never to look at them again. And what uh, not forgiving yourself does is cause you to be stuck, unable to live out the plans that God has for you. Time to let it go. For, and forgive, forgiveness, to be able to forgive ourselves, we really need to understand God's total forgiveness. 
You see, all of our sins are ultimately, like I said, rebellion against God. It's all against God. Joseph, uh, in chapter 39, verse 9, he says this. So he refuses to sleep with Potiphar's wife. He keeps saying no. She keeps coming to him, sleep with me, sleep with me, sleep with me. That's why he ended up in prison. But he refuses and he says, he doesn't say, how could I sin against Potiphar in such a way? He doesn't say that. He says, how could I sin against God? He knows that our sin is against God. So the essential thing we require is forgiveness from God. And that only comes through faith in Jesus Christ and his work upon the cross. Romans 5.1 tells us that when we put our faith and trust in Christ, we are made right before God. We have peace with God. We have this wonderful robe of righteousness, like a technicolor dream coat, a robe of righteousness that Jesus gives us as we put our faith and trust in him. Now, we stay, may still struggle with sin. I still struggle with sin. You know, nobody's perfect. We mess up. But the wonderful truth is that we can go straight to God in repentance. We can confess our sins and he is faithful and just to what? Forgive, Forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So we again can have that fellowship restored with God. As we, you know, as we sin, as we mess up, keep a short account of sin and just take it to God and say, I've messed up, Lord. You know, don't feel you can't go to him. You can go to him and say, I've messed up, Lord. Forgive me. And he will forgive you. Now, you can only forgive yourself when you accept God's forgiveness. You can only forgive others when you grasp how graciously God has poured out his grace to you and forgiven you. It's not easy, is it? Forgiveness just isn't easy. If you've had to forgive anyone who's hurt you, it's hard, isn't it, sometimes? And it's hard sometimes, I think, to forgive yourself because actually you carry regret for bad things that you've done, the bad decisions that you've made, remorse that you carry around with you for maybe affecting your own health. So I've got COPD and asthma, and that is a lot to do with the fact that I was addicted to drugs for 10 years. I was making those choices. And we can carry remorse around with us. But we can also carry that remorse and hurt for the way that we've affected and hurt others. And then there's the accusations of the enemy. So he'll come along and say, oh, no, God can't forgive that one. That's just too bad. Or the accusations from people around us. Look what you did. Look what you did. And the effect is that we try to punish ourselves. We don't think we, forget, we deserve forgiveness. But, you know, if we keep going to that place... What is that really if we are forgiven in Christ? It's just self-pity, isn't it? When we just hold on to our own uh, remorse and hurt. When Jesus has paid for it, he's dealt with it, it's done. You know, you can't... Look, we need to let this, allow this to penetrate our hearts. We never can make up for our own sin. We can't do it. 
What does the Bible say? We were dead in our trespasses and sins. It's all Jesus. We're completely hopeless apart from Jesus. Completely hopeless. God's wrath was poured out upon him for yours and my sin. He became sin for us. The price was paid. Justice has eternally been served to Jesus. He's paid. I think what I'd love you to take hold of and what really spoke to my heart in preparing this is that living in guilt and self-punishment is really rejection of the gospel. So living in guilt and self-punishment is rejection of what Christ has done for you. You are free from sin and shame and guilt. And it's time to let it go. And then my final uh, point is that God wants you to know the family secret. So Genesis 45 verse 8, it says, Therefore it was not you who sent me here. This is Joseph speaking to his brothers. It was God. He has made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household and ruler over the land of Egypt. This is Joseph saying to his brothers, he just wants them to know it wasn't you. God was behind it all. They knew what they'd done, the brothers, didn't they? They carried it around with them. But Joseph says it was, he's making it so easy for them, isn't he? He's saying, no, it wasn't you, it was God. And I think it's the same when it comes to our salvation. God was behind it all. For some to come to faith, I believe it's a bit of a fight. It's a, a, a wrestling to make that and to, to, to lay down your life and, and choose to follow Jesus. There's a wrestling. It takes effort and strength uh, of will to take that step of faith. It can feel like a bit of a fight. I don't know if that was for you, like that for you. But this can make us feel like we somehow did it. It was us. We somehow chose Jesus. But it's once we've put our faith and trust in Jesus, as we look back, we can see that actually, as we, as we put our faith and trust in Jesus, as we're adopted into his family, that's at the point we learn the family secret. That actually it was God all along. It wasn't us. I mean, it's spelled out in scripture. Jesus spells out the truth for us. John 15, verse 16, he says, You did not choose me. I chose you. John, in John's gospel, John knew the secret. He says, in John, uh, 1 John 4, 19, he says, We love him. Why? Because he first loved us. Paul, the apostle Paul, knows the family secret. In 2 Thessalonians, he says, But we ought to thank God always for you, brothers and sisters, loved by the Lord, because from the beginning, God has chosen you for salvation. <laughs> there's, this, there's this sense that we're not in some way dragged into heaven, kicking and screaming. 
Okay? And neither are we banging on the doors of heaven saying, Jesus, let me in, let me in. It's not like that. Our salvation came by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. It's all him. You were chosen by God and for God. Wonderful. This is the sovereignty of God. This is the family secret. And it humbles us. So Spurgeon tells a story of sitting in church feeling bored by the sermon. And his mind began to wander and he began to ask himself, why am I a Christian? And he thought, I'm a Christian because I heard the gospel. I'm a Christian because I believe. Then he asked himself, hang on a minute, why do I believe? And he said, all at once, like a flash, God opened it up to me, that God was at the bottom of it all, and that it was totally by God's grace. Do you understand that? Spurgeon had learned the family secret. Have you grasped the family secret? We did not choose God and save ourselves. He chose us. I mean, we recognize it when we pray. So when we pray, we're thanking God, don't we? We thank God for our salvation. Thanking him, saying, thank you, Lord, for saving me. And that's recognising that he, it was him, his sovereignty. And we recognise his sovereign grace when we pray for others, yes? When we're praying for them to, Lord, would you meet with them? Would you uh, awaken them to the gospel? When we pray for the salvation of others, we're recognising God's sovereign grace. Now, Joseph's brothers, okay, so, so Joseph tells them, you know, it was all God, it's not you. They've seen that it's God's sovereign hand at work. Now, imagine for a moment if once they realise the family secret that God does it all, they think to themselves, wow, it's all God. We don't have to do anything now. We can just sit back and chill and relax and enjoy ourselves, and enjoy the fruits of Egypt, and do nothing. But what does Joseph say in verse 9? Almost straight away after he said it was God, he says to them, return quickly now, and go to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says, God made me Lord of all Egypt, come down to me without delay. So he's saying to his brothers, don't delay, go now, go quickly, go tell my father, get on with it. Joseph's brothers were to tell Jacob the brilliant news, the great news, to tell their father that his son is alive. What better news could fill his ears than knowing that Joseph is alive after all this time and he's now governor of Egypt and he says, come. He says, come to me. No better news. When we learn the family's secret of God's sovereign grace over our lives, there's a danger. When we understand that it was all God, it can cause us to be smug and just relax and think, ah, oh, God's got it. He's going to do it all. There's nothing for me to do now. But God never lets us get away with that attitude. He doesn't. 
R.T. Kendall's great commentary on, on Joseph, he says this, I can tell you that the great men and women of God throughout history have believed simultaneously in the absolute sovereignty of God on the one hand and on the other, accepted their full responsibility as though it were utterly up to them. We have the greatest message to share, that God offers wonderful, free forgiveness, that you are completely forgiven for all of your sin. You are loved by God. All your shame gone, all of your guilt gone, taken away, purged, removed, purified, clothed in righteousness of Christ. And our message is true. Why? Because the Son is alive. Jesus raised to life again was raised to life again. His sacrifice was enough. How do we know? Because of the resurrection. That's how we know. He paid it all. It was accepted. He was raised to life. And then what does Jesus say to us? Mark 16, verse 15. Then he said to the disciples, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. The responsibility is ours. If we don't tell the gospel, who will? When God says all of creation, does he mean your neighbours? Does he mean your neighbours? Does he mean your work colleagues? Does he mean your friends? All of creation. Every opportunity we get, we share this most wonderful news that we are forgiven, that you can be forgiven, that you can know Jesus, the Lord of life. <laughs> it's wonderful. If we don't tell them, who will? In verse 9, Joseph's message to, the, to his father is to come to me now without delay. Don't hold back. That's what the brothers were to tell Jacob. Respond to the message. Don't delay. Respond. Go to Joseph now. Don't hold back. And I want to say to you, if you're here this morning and perhaps you've heard the gospel, you're on a journey towards Jesus, but you've not yet put your faith and trust in him, don't delay. Don't hold back. Go to Jesus. Don't put it off. Don't put it off. You can receive, you can receive the Lord Jesus today as your Lord and Saviour. And all that guilt and shame that perhaps you're carrying for things that you have done. He's paid for it already. It's done. It's dusted. It's now time. Turn to him. Put your faith and trust in him. You can receive him as your Lord today. So in conclusion, God wants you to accept his forgiveness. Stop carrying the guilt and shame around with you like a heavy backpack on your back. It's time to get the straps off, to let it go. 
to live in the freedom that Jesus has won for you. Time to take it off. Time to take Jesus at his word, the, the promises that you have in him, in his word. It's time to take hold of them and accept his total forgiveness. So if you are carrying it around with you, let it go. Lay it down at the cross. And then God wants you to forgive yourself. God's wrath for sin was poured out on Jesus at the cross. He's paid. Justice served eternally. Living in guilt and self-punishment is rejection of the gospel. Let it go. Jesus has done it all. There's no reason to carry it anymore. And then finally, God wants you to grasp the family secret. It's all him. It's all God's sovereign grace over our lives. And we have the greatest, most wonderful message to share. Do you feel that? Do you think you've got the most wonderful, awesome message to share? And then I want to say to you, if you don't know the Lord Jesus this morning, you can. You can. Right now. Today. You can receive him. I want to ask you, you're hearing Jesus speak to you. Perhaps he's speaking to you about things that you're carrying. Perhaps he's speaking to you about putting your faith in him. You know, he loves you more than words can say. I can't put into words how much Jesus loves you. It's impossible. His love is just so deep and so wonderful. So don't harden your heart this morning. Don't harden your heart to him. Let go. Time to let go of some of that stuff you're carrying. And it's time to put your faith and your trust in him as your Lord and Saviour.